a tower that reaches to the heavens. A hundred years ago, there was a man by the name of Daniel Burnham. He laid out a plan for a modern city. The beauty of its lakefronts, the green space, bike trails, beaches, summed up his philosophy in two famous statements that he made. Make no small plans. They have no power to stir men's blood. He would have loved the Tower of Babylon. He went on to build what we know today as the city of Chicago. As a matter of fact, one writer called it a global city. Sears Tower dominates the landscape. And someone has said, anything you want to do or, or know or find out, if you've got enough money, you can find out about it in Chicago. But may I say here in the book of Genesis, become the beginning, the first, if you will, of the ultimate display of the will of man. When I'm talking about mankind, I'm not talking about men and women both, not just one gender. The Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do now nothing. Now nothing, my, will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. But there was just one major, major, major problem. And that was this. They left God out of the equation. The the greatest building program of the ancient world I mean, they literally left God out of it. So tonight, let's look at this story and let me give you three things. Number one, we see a crucial background facts. The story of the Tower of Babel uh, literally occurred just a, just a few generations after Noah's flood. There's some historians say that It happened somewhere between 100 and 150 years. And by this time, the population had moved from about 8 to about 30, between 25 and 30,000 people living on earth. Now, I have no idea how they know that, but that's what they say. One thing we know for sure, the population had grown. God said, multiply and replenish the earth, and that's what they were doing. And so we understand that our population had begun to grow. Second, everyone spoke the same language. I mean, we, we read that and that, that's a given. Now, if you are a Bible student and this is for you that are interested and love the Word of God, you read chapter number 10. The Bible said, By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands and everyone after his tongue and after their families and their nations. And, and it's not that God has missed, uh, missed it here. Here's what you've got happening. The chronological order of the Bible. As a matter of fact, chapter 10 tells us how they were all scattered and divided. Chapter 11 tells you how it happened. It explains to you how all these uh, uh, tongues and, 
and languages and all these people were scattered all over. So chapter number 11 explains to us what happened in chapter number 10. Begins to tell us how the world becomes so hopelessly divided. Third thing, most people lived in the Middle East in an area called Shinar. It was what our modern day Babylon uh, and, and literally right there in, in, in called Babylonia, our modern day Iraq. And they settled in a region called the Fertile Crest. It's a well-watered plain near the Tigris and the Euphrates River. Fourth, this is why we so miss it. The tower they built was religious in nature. When we teach this in our Sunday schools, and I'm not saying we necessarily get it wrong, but we teach it that the tower was a way to get to heaven. Probably not accurate. It seems more likely they were building a tower that would bring heaven down to earth. Many believe that the tower was tied to early astrology and it was um, that on the top of this tower the plans was that they would build uh, zodiac signs and literally make a, 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 an altar there. And uh, as a matter of fact, we do know that astrology began in Babylon. And uh, so this should shock us. The Twin Towers, the Trade Center, were described as the temples of modern commerce and shrines to the uh, ingenuity and prowess of American technology. They were called shrines. Mount Rushmore is called the Shrine of American Democracy. It should not surprise us that when men build something great, it has a symbolic religious significance. I didn't say a Christian or a godly significance. I said a religious significance. The Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument say something powerful and positive about the values we hold dear in America. So this tower, and I want you to, and I give you that, is the tower was much more than just a tower. It was a massive United effort to bring humanity together totally apart from God. Don't miss this. It was a massive effort to bring humanity united together, but we want to leave God out of the picture. Can I ask you a question? What better way to describe America today? What better way to describe our country, our world? They're literally wanting to build that, but leave God out of it. And ever since we began shoving God to the outer edges of our life, we've been on a downhill slide ever since. It's amazing. So we see some crucial background facts, but notice some critical implications. And they said, 
Go, let us build up. And they said, go to. Let us, if you mark your Bible, underline this. Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven and let us make us a name as we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Literally, this was a power game. The builders of the Tower of Babel had two purposes. Here was their purposes. They said, we want to make ourselves a name. Second, they said, we don't want to be scattered all over the earth. And so they said, here's what the tower meant. The tower meant, don't mess with us. We're the greatest city on earth. No one like us. No one could touch us. Literally, they were saying, we live in a, we, we, we are, we will be the shining light for everybody in the world. Nobody's going to be like us. It was all about us. We live in a world that exalts bigger and bigger and biggest. We, look in a, we live in a world that, that, that exalts good, better, and best, fast, fastest, and smart, smartest, smartest, tall, and tallest, rich, and richest. We, we're totally, we're, we're, we're literally, we're literally in the fight. We live a good competition. We love to win. It's all about us. This whole, this whole tower business is about us. My. Literally, it was, if you will, an ancient power game of saying, we're going to be number one. We're going to be number one. That's, I shared with you, this is just about 100 to 150 years after the flood. I mean, it, it's not been that long ago. They've heard the stories of how God judged this world. And yet the judgment is not deterring them at all. It's amazing. First, we see that it becomes a drive for power and prestige. And here's why. They said, we don't want to be dependent on someone else. Here's what they're saying. We're going to build us a tower. That'll reach into the heavens. And we're going to display that we don't need God. You say, but preacher, are we still building towers? Yeah. Every time we try to build a life apart from God in the center... What you're saying is, I'm going to build my own, I'm going to do my own thing, man. I'm going to build my own world. I'm going to take care of myself. I'll take care of it all. I don't need God. What you're saying is exactly what they said. They said, we are not going to be dependent on God. They're saying we're not going to be dependent on anyone else. My, they're saying I'm the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. And I'll do it myself. Now you say, but preacher, 
Is there anything wrong with building a tower? No. Is there anything wrong with working together to build a tower? No. Is there anything wrong with building the tallest building? Uh, a tower on it? No. Is it wrong to advertise that your tower is the tallest tower on earth? No, but at this point, that you begin drifting into a danger zone. One that is so subtle that you hardly see it. And that is this. The human pride is one tricky, tricky thing. Pride's what made Lucifer fall, rebel against God in the first place. Pride was the original sin of the universe. Ambition's not wrong. Competition's not wrong. Winning's not wrong. Celebrating's not wrong. Being the best you can be is not wrong. But listen, don't, don't miss this. Whenever you've got all of those things, something happens. The Lord put it this way. Again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were standing there and Matthew 19, 24, throw their hands up. My God, Jesus, who can be saved then? That's what Jesus, they said. They were alarmed by that statement. But here's what he's just saying. He's just saying, now, there's two thoughts on, on that. Some believe that that eye of the needle was a gate. And to get through that gate, that the camel would have to, to bend its knee and and humble itself and crawl through the gate. And the one thing that a camel will never do is crawl. It'll die first. You'll kill it first. But it won't crawl. Some believe that it's talking literally the eye of the needle. Either way, it doesn't make any difference. The truth of it is the same. Here's the, is this. said it'd be easier to get the impossible done because the moment that happens, you don't need God. But isn't it amazing? And some of you may remember this. How many of you remember being flat broke? Praise God. I didn't say tonight, I said remember when you've been flat broke. Hickory Chair Company, we, we used to get paid once a month. And uh, when, that, when the month had five weeks on it, you always knew. Because on that last week, everybody's carrying a bag to lunch. And it's got pork and beans and crackers in it. Amen. And because that five weeks was a killer. Oh, isn't it amazing when your flight broke and you, and the power's gone and the fridge won't return your phone calls and you're on your knees are crying out for mercy. You need God. You begin to beg God to help you. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, blessed are the meek. And you say, meek, are you kidding? Meek's not weakness. Meekness is strength. Literally, God said, the drive for power and prestige stems from a fear of dependence on someone else. I don't need anyone. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. Look this way. You can dismiss this message all you want to. But in a moment's time, God can put you needing somebody. You hear what I said? God put you on, He can put you in a place. I, I'd clean my gutters ten, a thousand times. 
One Friday evening, I climbed on my back deck, climbed up there. I don't know why that stupid ladder, well, I know why it fell, too. That's not true. I know why it fell, but anyway, it fell. Why it fell ain't no no much business. But anyway, I know why it fell. And, uh, man, when I hit the deck, I knew my back was broken. I hollered for Darlene. I said, honey, call the ambulance. My back's broken. She said, are you sure? Isn't it amazing? I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you want to have a discussion now? <laughs> Call the ambulance. We'll talk about it later. And uh, I'm telling you, I, for the next several, 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 several months, I didn't need, I didn't, she had to help me dress. That's embarrassing. I mean, she had to, she had to tuck my shirt tail underneath that shell they put me in. And... Uh, and what I'm trying to get you to understand here is tonight. Here was a group of people that said, we're going to build a tower. And we it's going to display, we don't need God. And tonight, no matter where your life might be, whatever you might be, I hope it's okay if I use this illustration. Uh, uh, Jeff, I need to use... Caleb is an illustration. That'd be okay. When he got the call that Caleb was hurt, truth of the matter was, it's in God's hands. He ain't a doctor. But I'm glad he knew how to pray. I'm glad he knew the God he was calling on. And when you get that call, you're going to be glad you know how to pray. You're going to know, you're going to be glad you know God. At that moment, nothing else made a difference. A job, how, none, none, of stuff, none of the other stuff made no difference. All that made a difference was him touching heaven for his boy. I'm going to tell you something tonight. He was a group of people had a drive for power and prestige. It stemmed from a fear of dependence on someone else. Number two, it was a drive for power security. And that and the, literally, apart from God, that becomes the downfall of a soul every single time. To me, folks are like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Spirit of Babel. So, they look to everything in this world. They look to drugs. They break the rules. They lie to their parents. They lie to their spouses. They lie to their friends. Ultimately, they end up lying to themselves. Use people and discard them when their plans are met. See, there's nothing wrong with the tower. Nothing, nothing wrong with a good reputation. Nothing wrong with the team working together as a church to be. Nothing wrong as as the people wanting to build. Nothing wrong with wanting a nice home and all these things. Nothing wrong with those things. The wrong is in the attitude of the heart that says. I don't need God. I'll get through this thing. Has an ideal of a symbol of man's independence from God. And here's what's amazing. The people feared being scattered. Why they feared being scattered? They wanted nobody else on earth. They were the only ones. Why did they have a fear of being scattered? Isaiah 46 the voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? 
All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. We don't like to hear this. We don't like to talk about it. But the truth of the matter is, we're all going to leave this world one day, and we're all going to face God. We're all going to leave this world. We're all going to face God. My goodness. So God's answer was a simple one. God said, let's go down and check it out. He goes down, and he said, Behold, the people is one, and they all have one language. And this they begin to do. And, they, and now nothing will be strained from them which they have imagined to do. But here's the thing. They never invited God. God went down because he had not been invited from the very beginning. They didn't invite him into their marriage. They didn't invite him into their home. They didn't invite him for wisdom to raise their children. They didn't invite him to pick the right mate for life. They just never invited him at all. He says, I'm going to go down and check this out. He looks at it and he says this. He said, they're, they're, they think they're going to do. He said, and there's nothing they can't do. They've imagined to do. But he said, behold it. He said, they forgot something. They forgot, I'm still on the throne. And all he did was this. He gave Joe over here. He began to speak Chinese. He gave Elijah over here. He speaks Spanish. He took David over here and he started speaking Korean. He started, everybody started speaking a different, he confounded their language. Pipe fitters couldn't understand the electrician. They couldn't understand the truck drivers. They couldn't understand the bricklayers. And the truth of the matter was everybody started talking gibberish. No one understood anything. And everybody just stopped and throw down in frustration. And Babel become known for what its name was, and that is confusion. And here's the ultimate irony. That which they built it, that would never happen. We build it because we want a name, we want to be recognized, and we don't want to be scattered. The one thing that they said they, they're building it so it wouldn't happen it's the very thing that happened. God scattered them all over the world. Now here's really what I've preached all that to get to here. Sodrop Baptist Church, I'm going to conclude with three questions. And this is my heart tonight for you and for us as a church. Number one, how much do I embody the attitude of Babel? The problem of Babel was not the tower. It wasn't the building. But it was the attitude. It was the attitude of a people that said we just don't need God. See, nothing, nothing is good. Please listen. If you'll, just, if you'll just hear me. You know, there's some things as a, as a pastor... And you young people, I want you to really listen intently to me. And some things I'd like to open your head up and pour it in if I could. 
Nothing good comes motivated by pride and arrogance. Nothing. Never has. Never has. Nothing good is when we when something's motivated with an independence from God. And I don't want our church, I don't want us, I don't, I, I'm not, I, with the help of God, I'm going to purpose that I need God. Our church need if we are to be renewed in 2017, I'm telling you, only thing that's going to renew it is God. I need God. And I don't let my stubborn, my selfish pride and arrogance push God to the outer corners of my life. Too many do this. Wow, what's that? A flat tire. Oh, I got a spare. God, would you help us? Please, God, we need your help. Lord, we need your help. We need your help. And when the tire gets fixed, we throw God back in the trunk and we don't drag him out to the next catastrophe or crisis or flat tire. I wonder sometimes what would you do if God said, I'm tired of being the flat tire you put on. I'm tired of being the spare. I, I want to be on the front. I want to be the one controlling, running the show. How much do I embody the attitude of the Bible and independence? See, there's a fine line between healthy ambition and sinful pride. And we can cross that without even knowing it. Because the spirit of Babel that causes us to say, He's God in heaven, but I am God in my own little world. You say, but preacher, preacher, how can I know? Is there a way I can know if I'm there? I'm glad you asked because there is the second question. Well, this is a big one. In what areas have I experienced the judgment of Babel? What was the judgment of Babel? The judgment of Babel is this. Confusion. Confusion. How often... As a pastor, I've heard this. Preacher, I'm just so confused about my marriage. I just don't know what we're going to do. Language of Babel. Isn't it amazing? God confounded the languages. It's okay for you to be honest tonight. Nobody here but us. Our guests, thank you for being here, but just mostly our church is here tonight. How many of you, whenever the husband and wife, you couldn't, the language, you just couldn't understand what the talk was all about. The language was all confounded. let, Let me illustrate it this way. Okay, what's wrong? Nothing! 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 Now listen. I I know... I know you're mad about something. 
What did I do? Nothing. Nothing. Now, I said, listen. Okay, if, if it ain't nothing, then why are you acting like nothing, nothing? Ain't nothing wrong. So he said, okay. Oh, okay, well, maybe it's just me. A few hours later, come out the long lip, you know. You know, you know, you know the look. <laughs> Don't leave me here, hey. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And it, Ma'am, can he raise his hand like he knows what he's talking about? Be okay. Give him permission. Bless God. Him pegged for my soul. And, uh, and, okay. She says, Okay. What's wrong? Nothing. And I was reading this. And I was thinking. The judgment of Bible was they confounded the languages. One couldn't understand the other. Have there ever been a time when, honestly, ma'am, your husband couldn't understand you? Sir, has there ever been a time that your wife couldn't understand you? Here's what happens is God can send confusion. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If there's confusion in your life, if there's a, that there may be the judgment of Bible in your life. Because here was the people, God, by throwing them in confusion, He ruined their massive building program. And God does the same thing today. See, when we suffer confusion, it brings fear and loneliness. My goodness. And so what happens is this. We push God to the edge of our life. And we say, I'll work this thing out myself. I'll figure out how to do it. And we push God on to the side. But see, here's the problem. Sooner or later, the tower will come crashing down because it's built on a shaky foundation. Will you, the third question, well, this is a big one. Will you embrace God's alternative to Babel? There was an alternative. And the alternative, they never invited him. They said, let us build us, do for us. It's our tower, us, us, us. But all they had to do was invite Jesus and say, Jesus, we need you to be the foundation. I want to read you a story, a word of God here. It's so powerful. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be like unto a foolish man, who built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, 
and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Here's the answer to Babel, is God being in the foundation before you start the building. You young people that are dating, if you got a half a brain, listen to me. Listen to me. First question you ought to ask is, are you saved? Do you know, I'm going to tell you, do, they, do you know Jesus? You tell me about your salvation. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Because if you don't build on that foundation, then you're building on sand. And sooner or later, no matter what you build, it'll come crashing down. But when you build on the rock, the Bible says all that not doesn't say we're going to get anything different. The rain, the storms, all that's coming comes to both houses. But one stood and one fell. And the antidote, the answer, the answer. It's literally God saying this in Matthew 16, 25. For whosoever will, that word will, save his life, shall lose it. Save his life. What he's saying is this. I'm going to do it. I don't need God. But notice what he's saying. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And that's the reason I titled this message a renewed will. Tonight God gives every one of us a will And tonight, we can make a choice to say, I'm not living independent of God. I need Him. I need Him tonight. I need Him tomorrow. I need Him next week. I need Him him from now on. My children need it. My family need it. My grandchildren need it. My church needs Him. Matter of fact is, we all need Him. We've got to have Him. So the three questions are this again. How much do I embody the attitude of Babel? In what areas have I experienced the judgment of Babel? And number three, will you embrace the alternative to Babel? And that one alternative is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the name of the Lord is a strong power, and the righteous runneth into it and is safe. So I'll stand to your feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed tonight.